This week's TribCast is sponsored by the University of Texas at San Antonio. Discover how UTSA is leveraging its new Tier 1 designation to create bold futures for Texas. Find out more at utsa.edu. And Texas Engineering Executive Education. Methane. Learn how to understand and manage this potent gas with a UT short course offered by Texas Engineering Executive Education. Find out more at executive.engr.utexas.edu. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for May 27th, 2022. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News for the Texas Tribune. And I am joined today by our criminal justice reporter, Jolie McCullough. Hello. Hey, Jolie. And our politics reporter, James Bettergon. Hey, Matthew. James. So it has been another terrible week in Texas, and this one especially terrible. 19 children, two teachers murdered in a pair of classrooms in Uvalde, Texas. The worst school shooting in this state's history. Um, one of the worst school shootings in American history, young children, second graders, third graders, fourth graders, kind of, you know, an unspeakable tragedy. I'm sure all of our listeners know many of the details and have been following this as closely as we have. Today, you know, there's, there's not a lot to say. It's, it's hard to find something to say about it. But um, today, I think we are going to talk about where the government plays a role in this, where politics play a role in this, the government's response to this shooting and other shootings, and, and the political response to this shootings and other shootings. It's, um, there have been a lot of questions, a lot of questions about how police handled this. Uh, details have rolled out throughout the week, and especially today in a dramatic press conference in which it was revealed, you know, the extent to which officers waited before going in to stop this shooting. I want to look back, though, before we even get into that, and I want to talk about how, you know, what has happened leading up to this. And Jolie, you have written extensively about this in, um, in the Tribune this week. You know, this is, of course, not the first mass shooting. We have had many mass shootings in the state, shootings in El Paso, Odessa Midland, Santa Fe, um, Southern Springs, Colleen, Fort Hood twice. And each time we see the lawmakers come up and they, we, we see them call for change and say this cannot happen again. We saw that from Governor Greg Abbott today and in other days as well. But it keeps happening again. And we keep seeing kind of an idea of, of different policies, different changes. You wrote about that and about kind of the action or inaction that has happened in this state. Can you take us back to Santa Fe in particular, the school shootings and the roundtables? and El Paso as well. And tell us a little bit about what the state, after the last time we saw these tragedies, what the state said it was doing and, and what the results of those things have been. Um, yeah, so essentially, yeah, we'll go back to Santa Fe because that was the last big school shooting here in Texas. That was in 2018 near um, Houston. And that was a situation where 10 people were killed with a you know a high school student came in um, with a gun. And after that, there were a series of roundtables. The governor stepped in and said, we need to get everyone to the table and talk about what to do, how to solve this, how to keep this from happening. 
Um, what they came up with was when they came around next year at the legislative session, um, a series of bills, mostly one bill, but there were several bills that were really focusing in on, you know, mental health resources available for, for teens and for children. Um, they were focused on this hardening of schools, right? Make it harder to get in and out of schools, well, mostly in, make it harder to get into schools, kind of have all these test securities, metal detectors, ballistic glass um, at school entrances. And those were the really the key things that kind of came up. What was interesting is because, you know, you, you go other places in this country and the first thing that the first thing that comes up in all of these debates is, you know, what about the guns? Um, and that is something that they actually, that Greg Abbott was actually open to. He, after Santa Fe, and he came up with this, you know, 40 page report of recommendations for the legislature to look at after these discussions. And he said that the state should consider a red flag law. Um, and this was after, you know, what we saw in Florida and Parkland at that shooting. Essentially, you know, when there's been um, a record of, you know, mental illness or some sort of crisis or some sort of indication that this person could be dangerous to themselves or to others with a gun, don't let them have a gun. Um, and so that was something that, uh, that he floated. And then there was a big push from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and from, you know, uh, you know, just gun rights activists, um, there's a big push against these in the sense of like the, the fear being that some anyone could get a court to say I'm mentally unfit for a gun. Um, there's no evidence that that's like a thing that happens, but that's been the big fear is that there's going to be this run for your guns um, through the courts. And so that was immediately shot down and it really never came up. So when the legislature came around in 2019, you know, however long I can't do math, 12 minus five, seven months after mm. the shooting in Santa Fe, um, it didn't even get a hearing. Um, red flag law just it disappeared very quietly, very quickly. Um, and instead, the solution being, and it, when it comes to guns, is you know more teachers should have access to guns. Um, if you have more teachers who can carry their weapons in the classroom, more school employees, um, then that would help prevent mass shootings. Um, and so that's what we saw in Santa Fe, um, and. After El Paso, um, which happened, you know, the next year, um, and then weeks later, uh, the shooting in Midland and Odessa, um, there again, there was a big call, and there was actually even more of a push from from Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick saying, like, this we have, this is enough is enough, we have to do something. And you know, as as famously said, Dan Patrick did this like he was willing to take an arrow from the NRA on stronger background checks. Um, because, you know, in Texas, there are no stranger to stranger background checks. Like if you go through a gun store, then you have the background check. But if just, a, you know, there's the um, stranger to stranger purchases as well as gun show purchases where there are no background checks. And very quickly, again, that just went silent. It was a situation where these these shootings happened in August of 2020. And by the time lawmakers came back around, it, it, you know, an election had passed for one thing, Texas became like, was very steadily still being run uh, by a majority of conservatives. And instead in, in 2021, we have 
a great expansion of gun laws. So it was much more, it was a much looser version of gun laws. Um, really, there was one bill called the Lion Tri Bill, which um, people from El Paso and, you know, who were pushing for gun control after those, those um, tragedies, basically saying if you're, if you lie on a background check, that is a crime. It boosts the level of the punishment for that. So that was the one thing, but otherwise, you know, we have permitless carry. Um, everyone, you know, we can have carry a handgun without a permit now. Um, we have the, you know, Second Amendment sanctuary state saying, so kind of essentially saying if the federal government passes gun, gun restrictions, we can't enforce them. Um, and it, it, it was really just going in this opposite direction. And it's this trend that we're seeing that when there is a mass shooting, there's kind of, there's calls for, okay, maybe we need to look at some gun stuff. And then the next legislative session comes around and it actually loosens gun restrictions. Yeah. I mean, I think part of this, part of this dynamic at play is you have these terrible events happen, but they happen in the summer of an even numbered year. And that's, that means you're months away from the legislature and there's this cycle of outrage and the cycle of we need to do something. And you hear that from Republicans, you hear that from Democrats, but time passes, attention turns elsewhere, the kind of raw feelings of that event start to dissipate. And, you know, politicians start getting asked questions about other things other than other than the shootings. And, you know, the way that our political, our legislature is structured, where it's six months every other year, the the pressure starts to recede and 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 maybe you start to fear the the gun owners the the people in the republican party in particular who feel very strongly about gun rights and, and don't want anything that's viewed as infringing against it kind of becoming a louder voice a more influential voice than the folks who see this and are outraged about it and yeah well and like the thing that you see is actually as you know, as we've seen over the last several years, Texas government has gotten more and more conservative and they're really pushing hard on some of the things that were unre like the unreachable for them, like permitless carry, like, you know, this the six week abortion ban, um, things like that, where that were previously out of reach and they've really gone stronger in that direction. And I think it's even it's notable that you see after this shooting in Uvalde, there hasn't been talk. They've already just said, you know, gun restricting guns is not the answer. Like in previous shootings, what obviously none of those words were followed up on, but there was like, okay, let's talk about it. There was this feeling of like, okay, we're going to listen to you. And in this case, they've already, they're already just like nixing that, like they're nipping it in the bud. Um, so that's, I mean, it's just, it's interesting to see given how the politics of the state overall have have turned so far to the right it's 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 evident in this as well yeah we just watched greg abbott's press conference on friday afternoon and, and and kind of jumped right into this afterwards and he was asked by someone about the idea of raising the age to buy an ar type weapon from 18 to 21 right now you're 18 of course the the shooter in this case was 18 as well and he basically said texas you've been allowed to buy long guns in Texas through its entire history. And we've only started to see these kind of mass shootings at this frequency in the last, what did he say, 10 years or so. And so his argument was that that was not the problem here, that there is some other kind of problem going on and and, and yeah. we should be thinking maybe, about that. Yeah, maybe 
that there used to be an assault ban, uh, assault rifle ban before, and in the aftermath of that, there has been these shootings that have been committed by assault assault rifles. But I think this is part of the problem that, like we, the the Texas government has just become so dysfunctional that they just have started to, as Joe Lee pointed out, just where as before there was a pattern where we would start talking about well, maybe we can do this and maybe we can do that. And at least there were platitudes of let's try and do something about it. Now with pretty secure Republican control, I mean, there's not even really a conversation of what kinds of measures we can implement to, if not fully prevent, at least try to prevent some of these um, mass shootings. Um, And we've just gone back to the talking points of you know, mental health is an issue um, and hardening schools and having more police resource officers um, at the schools, which in this case we've seen did not work. Um, first of all, there's no indication that this, this, young, this young person had a mental health issue, as Governor Abbott said in his first press conference. Secondly, the police resources that were given to the school and the police trainings that were given to the local police department obviously did not work. I mean, we're going to talk about, I think, the, the timeline of the shooting and the, mis, the misleading timeline that public officials gave, but that also has not worked. So we're essentially talking about repeating the things that have not worked in the past. There needs to be seriously brave conversations here by legislatures and people in charge. And it just seems like the political powers that be including the gun lobby, are just unwilling to let those conversations happen by exerting pressure on lawmakers. Like they're just so scared to even talk about it anymore that they're dismissing it right there at the press conference. Uh, You know, are background checks gonna solve every shooting? Probably not. Um, Is the requirements of licensing and training gonna stop every shooting? Obviously not, There, there were shootings before then. Um, but I think I think it increases the likelihood if you if you have such easy easy availability to weapons, um, and we just are you know we've covered well uh, speaking for myself I've covered you know four or five of these mass shootings, and we're the frustrating thing for me seeing it as a reporter is that we're essentially having the same conversation we're going to have roundtables. We're going to have reports, which after the El Paso and Odessa shooting, the reports didn't even come out. So let's keep that in mind. But we're basically saying we're going to do the same things that we did in the past that have not worked. Um, and there's just no political will. There's no political courage to at least have a conversation. And then you sort of cherry pick who gets to go to these events, really. Um, and there's it's it's a very difficult time as a as a political observer and a political reporter watching these things because we are seeing the same things done that we've done in the past that obviously haven't worked being offered up as the solutions when we know that that they are not the solutions and i'm not saying that we as reporters know what the solutions are right but we know what the solutions are that they proposed before and we know what hasn't worked before and it looks like we're fixing to do it again yeah, I mean, as an example of that, this like hardening schools that has come up, um, you know, the or the 
both the hardening of schools and this like one access point situation, like, you know, only have one door in and out, um, both just uh, not like actually possible to use in almost all schools in terms of an one door, um, but, you know, one unlocked door, but just even with the hardening of schools, you know, wanting to arm more teachers, um, wanting to increase, you know, metal detector security cameras, all of that stuff, bulletproof or bullet resistant glass, you know, there's just, there's no, schools have done that, first of all, in some of them, um, but there's just no indication, like uh, there's studies being done and there's no evidence that any of this is preventing any gun violence. Um, there's this, you know, if in Uvalde, the door was propped open, like um, they have policies that like doors are supposed to be locked, but like, I mean, you just, it's just a situation where if someone is wanting to get in seemingly like, the, yes, you can make it harder for them to get in and it might add some level of security. But in this case, like there were police on scene, there were, there, you know, it, and it's still just it, it's just it, it's gonna it happens and it's gonna it's gonna happen again obviously there's just there's no way around it yeah i mean i think that's just the most distressing part of this is i mean 19 children in a school and killed in the most horrific way you can imagine and we're not even really seeing any kind of token coming together to raise ideas i mean the, we've heard We've heard mental health, but there has been no real, there's been nothing beyond that. And there's been no real kind of proposals as to what that even means to do mental health. And it's for something this terrible to happen and for the, the response to be sort of resignation is just, it's just hard to live with. I don't know. Well, it's yeah. even like, like before today, um, you know, with the governor going into this press conference, I think on Wednesday, it's hard to keep the day straight at this point, but saying, you know, we did, we did the best law that we could have, like, like one of the best school laws to prevent school shootings after Santa Fe. And you're saying that in a town that has just lost 19 of their children um, and two of their teachers. And obviously, like, it, Uvalde was one of these schools that got money from the state to increase their security. It's, it's not, it obviously didn't save them. It didn't help them. And then also, you know, this law enforcement was there. It could have been a lot worse. Just like the, the, the tone that is being portrayed is just kind of a, well, we did all we could. Um, what else is there to do? It, it just, it almost seems like a resignation at this point. We've just accepted that this is, this is a reality that is going to continue. I, I think that's right. Um, Julie, it does seem like folks are just resigned to the fact that it's going to happen. But it's also, from a political perspective, it's it's not that they're just resigned. It's just that they're also like just unwilling to to do the difficult things that they have the difficult conversations that they need to have. To yeah. to Matthew's point, I mean, you know, how long has John Cornyn been trying to fix Nick's? You know, and I know he's working on some type of you know compromise in Congress which actually is encouraging to hear anybody talking about that kind of conversation. <clears throat> but here in Texas, I mean, we just heard, we just heard Governor Abbott say there's, there's basically no gun laws um, that 
the state can pass because criminals are going to violate laws anyway. And it's that kind of comment where, well, if criminals are going to violate crimes anyway. Why do we even pass laws that it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's so reductive and so reflective of sort of where we are rather than trying to engage in the actual debate and seeing what things we can have. Obviously, again, nothing is ever going to be foolproof. We've, we've seen that proven because the, the laws that the governor and other lawmakers said we're going to stop this have obviously not, but there has to be something done differently, something proposed differently that can at least provide some type of movement on it. And it's just, there's, there's no political will. Nobody is, um, nobody wants to spend any political capital which the governor has plenty of, um, but seems to be happy to let John Cornyn spend his political capital. And, and it's partly because, you know, we talk about Republicans are in opposition to, to gun control measures. But the reality is, if you look at the polling, Republicans aren't completely opposed to gun control measures, right? There are some gun control measures, including background checks, that Republicans are in favor of, limited, limited gun control measures. But there is a, a small faction of the Republican Party, and there's also a, a, a gun lobby that lawmakers are just live in fear of, and they will not step outside of it, or they will say, like, like Lieutenant Governor Patrick did in, in 2019, was it after El Paso, that he'll take the slings and arrows, and then he'll just run out the clock and do the exact opposite, because these guys will promise this kind of action. And then let's not forget that after El Paso, after Governor Abbott promised to do everything he could so that nothing like this would happen again, he didn't lift a finger to advocate for any of the measures that um, that the El Paso legislators proposed, including lie and try, including lie and try. And I think like just even to your point of, well, to two of your points, the one of, you know, the if people want to commit crime, it doesn't matter if it's illegal, if they want to go kill someone. But like in this situation, and obviously that is true in many situations, they're going to do what they want to do if you have enough willpower. But it does, I mean, access is, you can't deny that access isn't a factor here. I mean, if you just look at this case, exactly this guy, as as uh, DPS leader Steve McCraw said today, he had asked his sister for a gun to help buy him a gun. He said no. So he waited until he turned 18 and was legally allowed to buy assault rifles and then bought the weapons that he used to murder these children and these teachers. And like that is, he, you know, that is what, if, if he didn't have that access, maybe this would have gone, like maybe he eventually would have found a way. Obviously we can't predict the future, but like that he was waiting for his access and this was his legal access to get these weapons to do that. Let's let's pause for a moment and hear from our sponsors. Methodist Healthcare Ministries is committed to health equity, striving to create more fair and just opportunities for all to thrive. Learn more at mhm.org. And Raise Your Hand Texas. Raise Your Hand Texas believes the future of Texas, our communities, economy, and citizenry depends on how well we prepare all students. Meet your regional advocacy director, sign up for our newsletter, and get involved at raiseyourhandtexas.org slash advocacy. All right, James, I want to ask you to, we had a dramatic moment. This is, this is far from the most important topic on this, but we had a dramatic moment at Greg Abbott's 
Wednesday press conference in which Beto O'Rourke, his challenger in the uh, campaign for governor, jumped up, interrupted, and you know basically said to Abbott and the people on the stage, the Republican statewide officials on the stage, "This is on you." It was uh, he was you know essentially shouted down. There were a lot of anger in the room at him for that. What did, what did you make of that moment? Well. I, I mean, I've actually done some reporting on this. And I mean, my initial reaction was that it, it was a mistake to do it. I mean, it's it's the day after uh, a tragic shooting. Um, I think there's families in, 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 in the building where it was happening. You've got the local officials who are dealing with this tragedy. Um, and, and to me, it sort of came off as um, a, a political move. And I think to a lot of people, it's come off that way. Um, I think for supporters of Beto O'Rourke, it was a sort of hoorah moment. He's getting in their face. He's um, saying all the things that we're all thinking, I think, is sort of if you're a supporter of Beto O'Rourke, that's how you see it. But I think pe people that are Beto O'Rourke supporters have to keep in mind that <clears throat> there are a ton of people who are not Beto O'Rourke supporters. And when they see him uh, making such a I mean, it, there's no way other than to call it a political move, um, making such a political move during the day after a, a tragedy like that, while there were survivors or I mean, families of victims in the room, while there were local officials there, it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Um, I think that going forward, Beto <clears throat> will use that to say, hey, at least I'm trying to do something. And I think that's what he's sort of explained. His comments today at the NRA, I think, are more along the lines of what will be politically useful for him um, in that he said to people at the NRA event, you guys are not our enemies. You are not our opponents. We're all on the same side. We just don't want this to happen again. And how can we work together um, to, to prevent these kinds of things? I think that, that was also along, you know, Senator Roland Gutierrez also interrupted today's presser in a very different way um, with what looked to me like a much more earnest plea to, to just get called back and do something in a special session. But I think um, there, there's obviously differing opinions and it depends on whether you're for Beto or you're against Beto on how you, um, on how you view it. But just as a cold political observer myself, uh, I, my initial reaction was that it, it was probably a, a mistake. Yeah, I think, you know, especially it being the day after and there were people kind of desperate for information about what had happened and how it had gone down and trying to understand what happened. It, it did feel like it played a little bit different in the room and maybe outside the room than uh, Senator Gutierrez's interruption on, on Friday. Um, but I, I'm just really struck, you know, Beto, that was a dramatic moment. I was actually surprised to see, and it of course makes sense in retrospect, how quickly it kind of faded from the conversation, right? Because there's so much other more important details than politics right now that people were reacting to and responding to that it, it did feel, it in the moment it felt really shocking, but people's attention quickly turned somewhere else. But I remember how emotional he was while he was running for president when the El Paso shooting happened. And this is clearly something that is a personal matter to him. He feels very passionately about it. But just watching how he has kind of handled 
these shootings and the way he came out and said the kind of hell hell yes we're going to take your ar during the presidential campaign and then came back to texas and is now running for government and has essentially walked that back and we were all wondering whether at that rally outside the nra convention today whether he would now then go back again to that stance and he didn't and he you know it seems as though no official change in his campaign policy has been made about you know not really emphasizing that or pushing that anymore. And it does kind of tell you about even on the Democratic side, there is hesitation for dramatic action, you know, in response to these shootings, uh, and a, a, a big worry that there's not the kind of political will for, for those types of things to happen. Right. Well, I think that, oh, sorry, go ahead, James. No, go ahead, Joey. I was just going to say, I think there's a different, like, Texas is obviously its own animal here, right? And there's Texas is a gun state and, you know, Democrats and Republicans alike have guns and, you know, like to go shooting as a sport, things like that. But there's a difference, I think, between, you know, taking away all your guns and gun restrictions and, and you know, strengthening background checks that some of the things that have come up as those pro proposals. And so I think that's kind of obviously if he's running for the governor in the state of Texas, if he just kind of comes in hot saying already as an underdog, right? Like I'm going to take away your ARs again. I, I feel like regardless of what he personally feels, he probably knows that's not the best political move at this point. Yeah. And I think, well, I mean, one important thing, I mean, I, I was there in El Paso shooting when Beto O'Rourke came, I think that was during his presidential run and he came to his hometown. And I mean, he was clearly hurt by what had happened in his hometown. I mean, it was a massacre. Uh, at the Walmart. Um, so people have to remember that, I mean, personally, it's it's a very personal for Beto O'Rourke. Um, I think probably what, as a candidate, Beto O'Rourke has to remember is that not everybody feels the way he feels um, and that not everybody has had the experiences that he's had. So when he has an outburst like that, you know, it plays differently to different folks who haven't had the experiences that he has. Um, but to your point, Jolie, I think, you know, that's exactly right. I mean, Texas is a gun culture state. People grow up here hunting. Um, people talk about it a lot. Even Democrats go hunting and have uh, gun licenses and, and enjoy it. Um, but also importantly, on the on the shooting, um, on the mass shooting side of this, there have also been important um, events that have sort of influenced how Texans think about this. If you think about the Luby's cafeteria shooting, right? And Susanna Hart, who had her, or who, who then later testified that she wished she had her um, handgun in her purse because she thought that she could have stopped that Ruby shooting um, and potentially saved the lives of people, including her parents who died in that shooting. Um, and that helped push the concealed handgun um, law in the 1990s. That influences, you know, a state that influenced the zeitgeist. And if you think of, you know, Stephen Williford in Southern Wind Springs, um, the, the sort of idea of the good guy with a gun, people may argue whether it's a myth, people may argue whether it's the best way to do it, but that's certainly an, um, that's certainly an idea that has permeated here in Texas and it, it can't be ignored that these things have happened that have deeply influenced Texas and Texas gun culture. James, how much do you think the events of this week will impact or be relevant to the elections in November 
and to the lawmakers when they convene in January for the next legislative session. Do you, does this fade the way so many of these others have? You know, the cynic in me and the reporter in me says that it does fade um, and that <clears throat> it, it won't have much of an impact um, on the November elections. Just because if you, we're living in this horrible, horrible week right now, and we're very much in the, in the moment right now. Um, but if you just think about a couple of weeks ago, or we're talking about um, transgender um, uh, health care for children, or health care for transgender children, right? Um, the Republicans were talking about that, uh, critical race theory, all those kinds of deals. And I, I would imagine they'll keep hammering on that. Um, and this may just be left left behind, just like all those other really, really tragic shootings. I mean, we've been here before. And I remember in El Paso, I felt this exact same way. Um, and then people just forgot it. And six months is a, is a, a long time in politics before the legislative session. So I, I think um, state leaders who um, have made clear where their positions are on what they would like to do have the advantage of being able to run out the clock. Um, and uh, it, I think it would take something else, something more drastic um, in terms of policy-wise or the mood of the, the public, if polling starts reflecting that there's a need for change. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I think, sadly, I think we'll probably move on. All right. Well, I thank you, James. Thank you, Jolie, for, for joining me today. Thank you to Justin, our producer. And thank you to our sponsors, the University of Texas at San Antonio, the Texas Engineering Executive Education, Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, and Raise Your Hand, Texas. We'll talk to you all next week. Do I have to talk to you? Do I have to talk to you?